Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless, the podcast that teaches you how to live a healthier lifestyle that makes you and the planet happier. The world is changing quickly. Sometimes it feels like you can't keep up. I hear you. You want to make the world a better place. You care, but you don't know where to start. You know taking care of yourself is important, but how? I get it. I have a history of diving into a new endeavor, seeking perfection, and quickly feeling like I failed. Whether it was going vegan or learning how to recycle more, I wish I had guidance to keep me on track and not overwhelmed. I can't lie, the world needs your help. But it doesn't need you to be perfect. This podcast is here to help. Here we go. Today's podcast episode is a reshare of a previously recorded episode way back from October 2020 with Jen Rivera Bell. Jen has been on my podcast twice. In this episode, we talked about honoring indigenous peoples and culture and history. When I'm recording this intro, it is October of 2023, and Indigenous Peoples Day just recently happened. Not only that, but there are a lot of things going on in the world right now, war and genocide, erasure of peoples, and I thought it would be a good time to revisit this conversation. Remember to take care of yourself as you learn and discuss hard things, but always be open to learning more. Enjoy this episode. I guess the question that you've already been asked, thank you for joining me again. I'm really Absolutely. excited. So happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you again. But so how are you doing on the spectrum from conscious to clueless this time around? Always clueless and always conscious. <laughs> that's that's my, my answer. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just this equinox, I think, is just bringing mm. so much shift of energy. And I'm lucky to be able to not only see it, but receive it with open arms. I'm trying to be very open to it. I've just felt such a positive like push mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm excited. I'm feeling like where I dreamt of where I wanted to be. Like, I feel Ooh. like that's where I'm heading and it's, I, I'm, I'm so ready to receive it and ready to be there. And I know that it's taking a lot of work and a lot of energy on my part and a lot of self-reflection. I've just been super aware of my own behaviors, the way that I've been talking to people, the way that I talk to myself and just like being like, okay, you need to chill. You need to settle down and just be more mindful and more present. I think I kind of lost myself a little bit in these past couple of months, especially because of COVID, because of COVID, so much more of our lives are online. Right. And so I felt the need to make more connections. I felt the need to to be more connected. And then with everything else that's going on, I feel like it's my job to spread information. It's my job to inform people. But then I lose my own sense of self because I feel like I'm just a reciprocator of energy and never for myself. And that's one of the hardest things that I've been working on in these past few years is just valuing myself by my productivity. And I think we chatted a little bit about that before, just like, okay, how did my to-do list look today? Okay. I failed as a person and I'm unworthy now, or I did great. And I'm, I'm so worthy of love and appreciation now. And so working a lot on that as of late. And just, like I said, being more present, like, 
literally like listening to the leaves and watching the leaves fall and like watching all the animals kind of roam around and and just doing that nothing else monotasking has been the theme of this yes uh, these past couple of weeks yeah and so I'm just I'm trying I'm listening and and I'm open to what I'm the energies that I'm feeling and like going in that direction because I've been I've been needing to to move this way and now I feel like it's the perfect time yeah. yeah, I love that so much. It's funny you say that because just actually in the last few days, I felt an energetic shift. Like I went mm-hmm. from saying, this is what I want. 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 And in the last few days, I'm like, oh, it's mine. I'm that's what I'm mm-hmm. getting. You it's know, like there. it's already yeah. there. And I, I knew that I needed to get there, but I didn't fully feel it. And I just feel in the last few days, I'm like feeling a little more joyful about those things instead of being like, this is what I need. This is what I'm manifesting Mm -hmm. and being like manic Mm -hmm. about it. Yes, absolutely. Truly thinking, oh, those things already exist. They're mine. This is just the path to get there. I really like how you said that. Uh, I think that that's one of the hardest parts when it comes to being open to manifesting your future and manifesting your reality is even in the way that we say it of one day, this will be mine, as opposed to this is mine. I just have to wait for this time, you know, and, and when it's right, it does happen. And we're just receiving that energy. And that doesn't mean we don't do our part in it, you know, like we still have to do our part and do the work while also being open to it. I think that sometimes we go to in one direction or the other, and it's finding that, that duality of you got to put in the work, you got to dismantle the systems and then also being aware of the energy. You know, we can do both at the same time. We tend to not give ourselves enough credit. Yeah. I think I've said this phrase in 2020, like, a, I don't know, zillion times by now, but both <laughs> and like I have said mm-hmm. so many times, both and because we get so stuck in specifically in the Western world, I think of just things are black and white. It is good or bad it is this or that. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think of all the million lessons that 2020 is bringing, it's that everything exists at the same time and it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's both. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that duality. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that as human beings, you know, we like simplicity, our brain will compartmentalize things into black and white. And it is our job as higher beings to be like, no, actually this entire area is gray. And that is not as simple as it is. It's so much more complex and it's our job to really dig into that as right. opposed to just being like, this is this and that's, and cause that's easy. It's yeah. so easy to see it that way. And, and, and the reality of it is that that's not how it works. You know, it's all interconnected. Everything is intersectional and it's so much more than just, like that. I think that one of my biggest things that I would always go to when it comes to that used to be veganism, this idea of like, okay, well, you know, I know this information and now why doesn't everybody do it? Mm. I don't get it. Like, what is, Mm -hmm. you know, get, get to it. What's everybody waiting on? And then like really digging into it. And it's like, oh, okay. These people aren't just evil cow murderers. Like that's not how it works, you know? And so understanding those complexities 
makes you a better activist, makes you a better person to understand that you have to understand where that other person's coming from in order to, to dismantle those systems. You can't just pinpoint at individual people. They're all systems at play. Yes, absolutely. I think that has been so crucial for me, especially for someone speaking for myself with so much privilege to just be Mm -hmm. able to ask people why they're not changing because these Mm -hmm. things are easy for me. And Last Sunday, my solo episode was about the angry vegan phase. And I just like mm-hmm. talked about like, that's a real thing. That is a real part of it. You, Absolutely. Like, wake up to it. And then you're just like, oh, everything that I knew is a lie. It's all a lie. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared. And everyone's evil. <laughs> and everyone's evil. And these people that are making these choices. And it's so like, you. I definitely like put myself in this, like, I'm over here kind of camp. And mm-hmm it's a part of it because you, I feel like you kind of have to go through this like wake up phase, but even just some of the things I said or some of the things I believed were just from such a place of no understanding of the systems at play Mm -hmm. of the intersectionality of all of those things. And that's a part of it. Like not only learning it, but being like, yo, I was wrong. I was really wrong. Yes. And I think that that's, one of the most important parts is after saying things or doing things that like were just not okay being able to say hey I did xyz and like hey y'all like I shouldn't have done that here's why here's what I'm doing now and that goes for everyone because we're not perfect you know I come from a place of speaking on intersectionality of talking about different avenues for marginalized people and yet I still mess up all the time Mm -hmm. all the time I you know, we, we have these ingrained biases and that's, that's normal. Right. Right. And it's kind of hard for us to talk about that of like, Hey, we all are part of the system. We've all been raised with racism, with sexism. And so we have these biases. It is our job to vocalize when we do have these views, when we do think these things and be like, Whoa, let me take a step back. This is stemming from this. I'm going to do better. No one's asking for anyone tomorrow to just be just streamline, you know, whatever. It's about taking accountability. And and that that's one of the most awkward, hardest parts, especially when you're in, in these circles of activism, in these circles of justice, because you're seen and perceived as like flawless, right? Yes. It's like, no, I know vast amounts of activists who, who mess up all the time, right? We mess up all the time. And the good thing is t- taking accountability and making sure that people see that, right? Because if we're seen as flawless, then people will see that as unattainable and be like, okay, well, I'm. what's the point of me trying if I'm never right. going to be like that? And it's like, no, like we mess up every day. Uh, we say things that are, are not correct. We hurt people, whether intentionally or not. The mm-hmm. intention is not the, the problem. It's what what was the damage? And, you know, and so taking that accountability, I think is just, that's why I enjoyed that episode so much was just listening to you being like, Hey, like I thought these things, I said these things and you know, I now know better. And Mm -hmm. you know, here's, here's the deal. I think a lot of people don't like to vocalize when they mess up because it's awkward, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's weird. Like, I don't want, I don't want to talk about like, (laughs) Hey, last time I was doing this, but that's the only way to really get better is um, by showing other people that we are all imperfect right 
Like mm-hmm. nobody is out here doing it 100, like no matter what, <laughs> what realm they're in. And it also just points to like, nobody is outside of that indoctrination of the systems. Like no matter how woke you think you are or how much, you know, mm-hmm. like we are all in it. Absolutely. There's no way to say like, well, I don't subscribe to like, yeah, I try not to be sexist and racist and, you know, like obviously, and I'm working actively against those things, but when they're culturally ingrained and they're in systems and then they're like systematic injustice, like that's what, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a battle. It is a battle to unlearn mm-hmm. and choose to relearn. Absolutely. I think that we, we don't, we don't realize this because again, we see it as black and white issues. We see it as those bad people right. are being racist those bad people are doing these things it's like no that's not it we are perpetuating those systems just as much as those people it might not be obvious you know like you know there's people who like blatantly say the n-word and blatantly do blackface those are obvious senses of racism but that's easy to point out and say that what about the anti-blackness that i hold what Mm -hmm. about the racist things that i you know like those are the things those are the things that are more difficult because like I said, we, we see it in black and white. And so we right. want to pinpoint the bad apples. We want to say those people as opposed to being like, okay, yeah, those people are being really shitty. And like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also here's the system that we need to dismantle, right? It's not just about the bad individuals doing individual actions. Like that's not what it is. And that's so hard for people to understand because it's so much harder to say it's systematic than it is to say that one individual is racist. Yep. It's so much more work. Yes. That's the thing is it's so much more work. And I think this perfectly segues into one of the million reasons I wanted to chat with you again, other than the fact that I just enjoyed chatting so much before (laughs) is that this week when this airs, it will be after, but it will be the week during indigenous people's day. And I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. everything we just talked about, I think, is coming up more and more and more. The statues that are toppling over and all of that, that pushback, I think, from people that don't understand why that is healing or why that might be helpful is systematic. And it's why rewrite this or it's why blah, blah, blah. And it's not being able to understand the systematic injustice native people and specifically in the United States, North America, North America at wide have endured for centuries. Mm -hmm. And I, Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about that specifically because I think it's so important to continue the conversation and not just, and I've said this before, Years past when things would come up, I would like rally around things, you know, like I was at the state capitol in Minnesota for gay marriage. And then we like got that. And I was like, okay, cool. That's checked off the list. But instead of like Mm -hmm. sticking with it and seeing where all these things are and all the different ways that injustice is carried out. Because again, that's, that's the hard part is seeing that it's not just one bill. It's not just. Uh, one person to fire. It's not just one thing, but it's so interconnected and seeing how 
different realms of people's marginality mm-hmm. goes into play, right? Because yeah. even for folks who fight for gay marriage, right? And then those same people will then disregard transgender folks, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it comes into play in so much more, which is why as allies of all of these different realms, we don't get breaks, right? Because those people of the marginalized groups don't get a break, right? right. I feel as though, because, because being an ally isn't a noun, right? Like we, I, I see it as a verb. It is what you yes. do because yes. you, you don't get like a sticker and be like, I'm an ally now. I see those all the time. And it's like, those are cute. And like, I love it. I'm all about it. But at the same time, it's like, it is a constant action that you have to do. You don't like go to a protest and be like, I became an ally. That's it. Like, no, it's like every day. What did you do every day? Every day. Because these people from these groups don't get to not be from that group. Yep. They don't get to take that break. Yes. And so it is our job to constantly be there for them because they don't get that luxury of just being like, oh, okay, I'm going to just chill and, and not be, you know, X today. Like that's not how that works. Yeah. So when you were growing up in school, did you learn about Columbus and Columbus Day? Oh, yeah. We had, you know, our little, what's it called? The Thanksgiving program where half of us just wore, you know, some feathers on our forehead and the other half wore the little, you know, hats. And it's even, I mean, it's so damaging on so many different levels. I was the only brown person at the school. Everyone at our school was black. And so it was so problematic on like 18 different levels, (laughs) what they had us doing, right? Yeah, no, it was just atrocious. And so to me, seeing that, especially now having children, our children, our youth just absorbs whatever is placed in front of them. And so when they see these portrayals of what history is like, they just automatically assume it to be true because Mm -hmm. the grownups are saying it. And so that is truth to them. And that was truth to us. That is literally what we became. I mean, I know adults right now that when we talk about this, they're like, but I thought they like all sat down and did. And I'm like, no (laughs) stop right there yeah not how it happened you know and we 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 want to fault these people and and again when I'm angry I do want to fault them I want to be like how how do you not know this you know and at the same time I grew up in that same in that same way so like I know how I didn't know I know how you know I was in college and I still didn't know these things and so it's baffling how we have just let these things go on for so long that they become our norm, right? Mm-hmm. My little sister, she's 13 now, but I remember, you know, for kindergarten or first grade, they made her do that. And at the time, I still didn't know any of this. And so I just thought it was cute. Yeah. And then now, <laughs> when I help her with her history homework, I have to like, hold myself back because I'm just going so hard on these teachers that they don't know where it's coming from. It's, it's something so enraging yet empowering to know our history. Yes, It is something that we must go through and it's a mourning and it's a grieving process 
And then at the same time, like a rebirth all at the same time, Mm -hmm. because being able to sit down and realize, you know, the true effects of colonization of genocide, that we are that percent that survived is so heartbreaking and powerful at the same time. It, Mm -hmm. it's, it's so hard to even like conceptualize what that feeling is like of, you know, for, for us in particular, we're indigenous to Mesoamerica and just knowing, you know, all that I don't know breaks my heart. You know, like we lost ties to our languages. And so now I'm struggling on a daily basis to try to get that connection back. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have teachers, indigenous teachers from El Salvador that I'm learning from and, and elders that I'm learning from, but not everyone has that luxury. You know, like people will come and go at having never known their language, having never known their traditions, having never known their rituals and ceremonies. And so to have the audacity to have an entire day for Christopher Columbus is laughable. It is laughable at best, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean... In El Salvador, in in all of these places in Central America, El Colón was our currency. It was his face on the coins, you know, in the same way that, you know, we have the presidents on Mount Rushmore. (laughs) All of these things that to to an outsider's perspective of people who lack the knowledge of that history, they're like, what's the big deal? I don't get what the big deal is. Right. But to, you know, to the indigenous people where those sacred mountains are, it means everything, right? And it's it's being able to understand the deep hurt that that history has caused, that deep sorrow that these statues hold, mm. you know, to somebody else who doesn't have the context. They're like, it's a statue. What's the big deal? Right. You know, but but to those people, it is everything, right? It is it is putting in the most literal term the colonizer on a pedestal like yeah yeah they're like showcasing it yeah carving the colonizer out of stone Mm -hmm. and putting it as like a tourist attraction yes absolutely absolutely it's horrifying I think it's horrifying is does it like doesn't even fully describe but I think I I was, as you were talking, I was realizing too, just like fall in general, and I'm not saying that it's harder or easier any time of the year to be indigenous, but I'm just thinking of like, okay, we have still Columbus Day in some areas, many areas. It is not called Indigenous Peoples Day or recognized. Mm -hmm. And then we come up on Halloween where... We oh, have yeah. to continue to beg oh, yeah. people to not use a culture as a costume. And then football season, where we're still having teams with names that I just like, I can't wrap my head around it, that it still is a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually can't wrap my I like, I can't, I'm like, we're and then bam, still... Thanksgiving. <laughs> Yes. And then I was just going to say, and then bam, Thanksgiving. And then everyone acts like, you know, like the program in school, like it was just this like long table of love. And I just, Mm -hmm. how have you, how do you approach these conversations with people who are like, let's say 
They're like, but you can't rewrite history. Why would we take down a statue or why would we change the name of something? Absolutely. And I am such a history advocate. And so I don't want to erase history. I want to embrace what true history really is. And yes. so if, if by that logic, you know, these people, they're like, this is history. This is, you know, whatever. And it's, um, you're right. And I want the true history. I want to know exactly what happened. I want to know what the truth was, not some made up fictional history that Disney produced. Right. Oof. I mean, literally every kid growing up saw Pocahontas and saw that to be the truth. Right. Yeah. Like that was our reality. And, and I think that people do not give children enough credit and do not understand that these little people turn into adults. And so all of these biases that the media portrays, all of this misinformation that they are given is not just silly cartoons, right? It's not just like, oh, they're just watching this and like, they're not even going to remember in 10 minutes. No, that is the furthest thing away from the truth. Right. And so we grew up thinking that Pocahontas was this, first of all, adult. We, we all assumed that she was an adult. <laughs> yeah. And we assumed that, you know, she did all of these things willingly and she went to England willingly, you know, like all of these things. And it's like, she was a child. First of she all, was a child. she was literally a child. And so just, just that alone should be enough for us to be like, wow, maybe we shouldn't be getting our history from a Disney movie. And to this day, it, it's, it's so enraging and it's sad that at this point, I'm just so used to it, but being an indigenous person who is married to a white man, I have been with Zach for almost 10 years now. And so I didn't get started in this journey of decolonizing until about five years ago, whenever I was pregnant with Luna. And so to this day, still, I get angry indigenous men to try to call me Pocahontas. <gasps> and My gosh. it is so baffling because first of all, them trying to police an indigenous woman is an act of white supremacy, right? That is yes. patriarchal. That is white supremacy. So you are being like the colonizer, one. Secondly, you don't know your history if you're using the name of a child who was part of this horrific like time in order to try to insult me, right? Mm. And so... It, there's so much that we have to learn collectively as a people to be able to be better, right? And I'm not saying that there aren't people who do know history and, and still continue to you know perpetuate these ideas, but there are a lot of people who just really have no idea, Genuinely. who just really don't know what happened. They don't know how disrespectful certain things are. And when we have these conversations, a lot of the times when I have these conversations with people, they're just mind blown. They're like, I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. You know, we sit down and, and I give a couple book recommendations and, you know, I, I talk with a lot of people online. Instagram is my main platform of connecting with people. And I get a lot of people who, you know, will message me and try to rile me up or try to, you know, ruffle some feathers. Yeah. I'm so unfazed by it at this point. And, <laughs> and then I, 
I explained to them, you know, like six different points and I'm like, you know, here you go. And they're like, but, but this isn't true. And I'm like, okay, then Google it. And they're like, I had no idea. Oh my God. How how is this going? I'm like, exactly. And, and I don't know if it's a fault or a good thing that I empathize with these people so much because I get it. I get it. I get where they're coming from. I get how they have been misinformed for so long that it becomes their reality. It doesn't matter if it's true or not to them. It is right. It, It becomes their reality. And so when being exposed to the truth, when being exposed to accurate history, people will get defensive, right? Because you're, you're, you're attacking their reality. And Mm -hmm. so you're, you're, making their reality crumble right in front of them. So of course they're going to defend it. Of course they're going to be upset by that. But you know, some people just stick to that and will disregard the truth and other people won't. Other people will see it and be like, wow, I had no idea. This is awful. And yeah, sorry about that. Like I, I get a lot of people that get like that. I'm like, it's all good. I just, I just needed you to know what the truth is because I mean, from the time that we're three years old, there's the, the, even the whole idea of cowboys and Indians, you know, like they still sell these little toys, you know, these things are still being sold and perpetuated. Indigenous people are characters on a TV show. They don't think that they're real people. They're literally cartoons. I don't know when's the last time you watched like the Disney version of Peter Pan, but I can't, I I highly suggest you go and (laughs) it's. Like I recently saw some clips, my friend like resent them to me and I was just like, yep. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we watched, right? That's what all of us saw. And that's what became our reality. When we see these literal caricatures of entire groups of people as human beings, we just put them in that box and we're like, okay, well, all of them are like that, right? Like that's, that's the easiest thing for my brain to do. And so they're all like that. And that's the box that I'm going to keep those people in. So for me, as a white woman, I get to put people in that box, right? Like that's, I can, (laughs) I can do that. How was that for you as an indigenous woman watching those caricatures? Like, I'm just wondering if there's this, this disconnect of like, but that's not how I look. Is that how I'm supposed to look? That's not how I act. Is that how I'm supposed to act? Like, I don't, how was that for you? What's What's worse is you believe those mm. stereotypes. You believe what it is that you're seeing. Like I said, I went to an all-Black school, and the town that I grew up with was mostly Black. And just seeing all of these Black children being told they're not beautiful on TV, right? Being told that their hair is not how it's supposed to be. These people didn't think, these children didn't think, oh, well, they're not they're not right. You know, I am beautiful. I, I am this. No, they believed it. They believed all these lies. They believed. And, and those are the effects that, you know, colonization has on children is that, and adults too. But I mean, in particularly us, when we saw all of these things, we just believed it, you know, believed that we weren't as smart as everybody else, that we weren't beautiful, that we weren't valued. And so we take that weight on with us for forever until we're able to like sit down and think about it and say, you know, my eyes are, you know, dark, like obsidian, not 
they're dull and and not not beautiful like blue mm. eyes they're not like water you know all of these things that like are are told to us are shown to us are and and it's not until we put in the effort as we grow these things because we just become them we we receive that information and it becomes our reality it's 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 heartbreaking to see children even now you know who still don't see themselves in literature they don't see themselves in movies and when they do they're terrible depictions right even even young girls you know like finally now there's so there's so much more right there's so yeah. many more black and brown children in books which is beautiful so many more characters that they can see and reflect on and see goodness in and see wholeness because everyone is flawed right where i don't want to see only characters of like the idol of a black right. and brown person right, right. i want to see regular people with flaws and and aspirations and and despair everything right we don't want just that perfect person because then that's also damaging too you know people who yes. have fallen into you know the model minority you know yeah. that that has been super problematic for those people and so we just need to be people right like whole <laughs> can we just be like regular people right like be depicted as regular people but no whiteness is always depicted as norm right whiteness cisgendered able-bodied all of these things are the norm and we are always outside of that norm we are always the token or the the stereotype or whatever the case may be and so it is our job now as people who are aware to really sit down and be like okay I always thought that you know my hair was just not pretty and not whatever it's like oh wow the only reason why was because because I was comparing it to like white people hair. And so like, right. obviously it doesn't look like that. And so it's never going to, you know, whatever. And so that goes for everything, right? Yeah. Everything, including like our cultural behaviors, our cultural tastes, all of these things that, that it takes so much work to unlearn in order for us to value ourselves as individuals and as a people. And the only thing I can draw any sort of comparison to is unlearning like in a part of my identity that is mine is that patriarchal unlearning what it means to be a woman and and starting on that process mm -hmm. was really really jarring and really really scary and really really eye-opening and it was all the things so what kind of started you on that journey of decolonizing and like seeing yourself differently so for me, my journey started as soon as I found out that I was pregnant. I just more on an analytical, tangible level wanted to know more about myself in order for me to tell my child, right? I was like, oh, we need to find out like exactly who we are in order for us to be able to tell Luna, have all these conversations with Luna. And with Zach, it was quite easy because his grandma has like little notebooks filled with like who was whose mom and like where she was from and like, you know, social security number, like the whole night. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I, I spoke with my dad and my dad has always been very, very open about his childhood and about their past growing up in El Salvador during the civil war with something wow. traumatic is not even a, a, a word that would be of any use. 
And growing up like that, he he would show me videos of the war. We talked about it. I, I learned a lot about it. But then when I was pregnant with Luna, I was like, I want to dig deeper. Like what, you know, let, tell me more. And we just started talking about, you know, these massacres that happened in El Salvador to indigenous people. And that that's why, you know, we don't know our language and like just digging into it. And I was like, I had no idea. Yeah. How did I have no idea? And and there's so much shame with it too. And so for us in particular, like I said, in El Salvador, there's a shame if you're indigenous, it means you're unintelligent. It means that you're crass. It means that you're homely. It means all of these negative things. So even people who are I mean, straight up indigenous, do not claim it. They will say anything other than they're indigenous. They will say, no, but, you know, my abuela, she was from Spain. And so, and it's like, oh, I don't think so. I do, I highly doubt that, you know? (laughs) And so even coming to terms with the fact that we're indigenous is a battle for so many of us. Yeah, yeah. Because it comes with such a negative idea. It comes with such a, just terrible connotation around it to where getting people to even see their own identity is step one, much less getting digging deeper and realizing that we are of value and we are beautiful and we are all of these things. I mean, just being able to accept that that's who we are is just a a hurdle in and of itself. And then from then, like I mentioned before, sitting down and realizing how much we've lost sitting down and realizing how much that we will never be able to gain, you know, from the tangible land that has been taken away from the waterways, from all of these things that we have been physically disconnected to from, from being into the dysphoria, right? Like we're, we're here. I'm only here because of the war, right? That's the only reason I'm in these so-called United States. I wouldn't be here if all of that hadn't happened. And so being able to sit with that is, is really hard. Yeah. And really difficult to just navigate and then working through and being able to find not only hope, but like that resilience that, that I'm still here. Like I made it. Right. Right. And so that, that in and of itself is beautiful. That in and of itself is powerful. And now it's my job, not only to teach my children, but also everyone that I can talk to, like anyone that I can relate this message to of like, no, like, you are beautiful. You are smart. You are all of these things. It's just these these terrible perceptions that we've gotten and we've been taught that we've internalized. What advice do you have for indigenous folks who are kind of starting on this journey? So the heart that's the hardest thing is starting. The hardest thing is really connecting because I am so fortunate to have elders who are still present with us being able to talk with my great aunt and her being open about it right because it's one thing having them present but then having them even be able to talk about it because they hadn't talked about it for as long as I have been here they hadn't talked about it and so it took a lot of very careful working around these situations in order to be able to have people talk about it I have friends up in the north who only recently have gotten their grandparents or parents to talk about the residential schools, right? Like it it took a lot of effort for them to even be able to talk about it. And sometimes they won't, they will not talk about it. And so it's so hard for us to 
to navigate this. So, so for so many of us, we don't have the luxury of just opening up a book and being able to go step one, do this step one. That's, That's not how it works. And so the, the best thing that we can do is connect with our elders and connect with, with our, our people. But again, that's, that's not always tangible for everybody. That's not always doable. Even if we have those people in our lives, they might not want to talk about these things because these are heavy things to unpack things that have been silenced for years, Uh for years, for decades. And so we can only hope that they are ready to talk about it and, and taking that process very gently with those people. Like I mentioned, speaking with like my own, my own people, it took a very long time for them to, to have these discussions, to have these conversations, even, even speaking with my mom, who is again, further disconnected from it, but being able to, to speak about why we see ourselves that way. We are still in these very self-hating that like internalized colonization. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, growing up hearing like, oh, you would look so much better if you would get some highlights in your hair, if you would dye it lighter because I have such pitch black hair. And it's like, oh, te ves tan India. You look so Indian is a term that I heard all growing up. And it's like, hey, what else do you want me to look like? Like, how else am I, oh, am I supposed to look any different? And also, how horrible is that for a yeah. child to hear? For an adult to hear, but particularly for a child to hear, like, maybe you should change this about yourself so that you would look less like your people. Because however you look isn't good enough. That's the message. Exactly. Exactly. Why, why would I be changing if, if it was good enough? right? Why would you want me to change if if I was the ideal, then you wouldn't want me to change, right? Going to El Salvador with Luna for the first time, she was around maybe eight or nine months. And so many people were so thrilled to see her. Yeah. Yeah. So many people were so thrilled to see her. And yet at the same time, I remember seeing it was like a great aunt or something. And I have like a million of those. That's why I said it that way. But uh, <laughs> we showed up and she was so excited. And she was like, I Lunita, Lunita. And she said, oh, she's so perfect. Too bad she's got brown eyes. And I was just so angry. Ugh. But like I mentioned, I completely understood where that idea came from right and so instinct like instinctively I just wanted to go hard and be like (laughs) you you know like just go off on her but I know why she thought that yeah I know years of this of me thinking that about myself much less her who's never had the language to be able to talk about this right like no concept of colonization and so she just lives it and so for me to go off on her wasn't wasn't right right like I I knew two seconds after I wanted to go off that 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 wasn't what I was supposed to do and I just said no I'm so lucky that her eyes came out just like her mama and she's mm. like oh okay you know like kind of kind of dismissed it but 
but yeah, I mean, this is, this is what we deal with all of the time. And my children are very fair compared to me, right? Like they have brown hair and they do have pitch black eyes. Kuali has eyes. I don't even know how, how he managed to get such dark eyes, but <laughs> it's so funny to see how, how little things like that I know because of my childhood. And so I reverse it with them, right? Even ever since Luna was aware of her body parts, I used to always, always tell her, tienes ojos de chocolate. You have chocolate eyes. Mm. You have chocolate eyes. And so now anytime anyone is talking about eyes, she goes, mama says I have chocolate eyes. You know, to her, it's something, something so beautiful, something so you know, whatever. And I have so I have, I mean, an embarrassing amount of books, right? It's just like stacks and stacks and stacks of children's books. And so I make sure that I am really showcasing black and brown children as as what they are, right? As perfect little bundles of light. That's that's what these children are. And so really showing these things, showcasing these things so that she doesn't have those same perceptions that I did. And so I'm very hopeful and very excited to see how she perceives it because we have such a limited, it's, it's kind of, it can seem kind of weird to other people, but because we have such limited contact with other folks, especially now with COVID, I mean, very, very limited, but we live out here in such a rural area. We have no neighbors. And so it's pretty much just me and Luna and Zach and Quali all the time. Like this, it's just, this is our reality and the animals, yeah. right? And yeah. so <laughs> everything that she absorbs is from the books that I read, is from the documentaries that we see. So me always showcasing children from all areas of the spectrum, children with disabilities, children who come from yes. just a plethora of different places and showcasing them. They're just children, right? And whatever else they are, that's an addition, right? But they're just children and they're just like you. And they're also different from you. You know, all of these things, I think that she's able to have a better, more whole picture of what we are, right? Because it's sometimes exhausting just to be your group or just your marginalization. Like that's that's so your a representative and so anytime that you mess up anytime that you're human you you down your entire group of people right like you are this oh all women are like that you are this oh all indigenous people like and that that white people don't have that weight if if anyone does something like that it's like oh oh, it's just because that one individual did this one specific thing yeah no when it's a marginalized person it's oh it's Let me throw that blanket on there. All of those people are like that. And so by teaching her that all these people are different and that they're not just their group, I I feel it. I feel like I'm able to teach her more, a more encompassing way to see the world as opposed to how I saw it, which was so black and white. Well, and I think what I hear you saying too is, like you said earlier, we underestimate children a lot. And if Mm -hmm. they're old enough to be specifically children that are from marginalized group, if they're old enough to be marginalized, right? If they're old enough to have those comments thrown at them, if they're old enough to be seen differently, if they're old enough to be scared to wear a hoodie down the street Mm -hmm. alone, then they're old enough to have those conversations. 
because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. being worried about talking to kids about stuff. But like you said, like kids, they're, they're ahead. They know they're absorbing. Yeah. They're so ahead. Absolutely. We don't give them enough credit. They are little elders. Like they're so yes. aware and we can, we can seek solutions from children. Their, their way of thinking is so, so without limitations right. that, that we need to learn from them. Yes. Right? Like we need to learn what, what, what that means because we've been calloused with bias and we've been calloused with all of these ideas that, most of the time simply aren't true. And so to, to, to hear what they have to say is so uplifting and so joyous. And like with me and Luna, like we have hard conversations with Luna. I don't want her childhood to be destroyed. Right. I don't want her to think that right. this world is just like a horrific place, right. you know, whatever, but I also want her to know what, what is going on. And so just the other day, I have these moments all the time where I'm just like, I don't, I can't even comprehend how proud I am. Like, I didn't even know that I could be this proud. Like we were just sitting at the table and she's just, you know, eating her food and it's just me and her. Zach has Kuali somewhere and we're just sharing our meal together. And she goes, mama, not everybody has food. We have to fight so that everybody has food. And I mean, I literally almost started to cry because I was like, you're so like, you're so right. Yes, Luna. Yes. Oh my. Hearing hearing the, those words come out of my three-year-old like I felt I'm about to cry just right now like but I felt like what I'm doing is right I felt like she knows like Luna Luna's gonna be a game changer like <laughs> y'all ain't ready for Luna <laughs> and so hearing those words come out of her and knowing that she is going to mobilize people right she is going to change people and so I have so many children that I know that are like that. So many children that are like that. I'm just like, whew, like I, I feel almost like a weight lifted. Like, yes, like we, this is what we're fighting for, right? Yeah. Like this is what, this is, this is why I do what I do because I want Luna to have the best capacity to do what she has to do. We're all, we're all have, have these duties and she has hers and I need to fulfill mine in order for her to be able to do what she has to do on this side because she's going to be unstoppable. And we're all healing those generational wounds, right? Like we're all, if, if we want, if we choose that path to heal those generational wounds and the more we heal, the more that next generation can heal, the less shit they have to go through, right? Like taking that on whatever it is, is so crucial and so important in breaking those patterns. Mm -hmm is a game changer exactly because that weight if we don't put in the work will just be left for our children right then they just have to deal with it if we don't put in the work and the work isn't glamorous it's not pretty (laughs) it's not it's not anything it's hard and shitty and tears and anger and despair but I do this work so that way Luna will have to do that less, right? So that Wally has to do that less. Because otherwise, if I just push on these, you know, anti-Black ideas, these these sexes, all all of these ideas, if I just push them on, then then she has to do all this healing. Then Wally has to do all this healing. And so it's it's work, 
but I, I do it gladly because I know the world that I want Luna to live in when she's older, right? Like I know, I envision what the capacity that she can do, but it, that only happens if I put in the work too. I think that's a motivating thing for me, at least too, is once you truly make that connection that the world is bigger than you, right? Like once you get past that ego Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. realize that like the ripple effects of your actions actually mean so much more than we learn growing up, like that at first is overwhelming, but then it makes me really hopeful because it's like, that's why I'm doing it. I'm not just doing Mm -hmm. this for me. I'm not just vegan. Yeah, it helps my health or I'm not just doing this for this reason, or I'm not just trying to use less plastic because of me. It's like, that's wide. That's a wide reaching effect. And that's like systematic and all of that stuff. And it's motivating, I think. Mm-hmm. And and it just depends on the framework of how you see it, because getting that exact information can be extremely overwhelming for someone who's not ready. Right. Yes. So hearing that and be like, wait, everything's interconnected. Yeah, Every, yeah. You know, like, oh, it that's terrified like, me at first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so now now I see it as a good thing. I see it right. like, you know, everything's interconnected, which means that there are so many little things that we can do. There's so many little things that we're able to to connect in order to form that big picture. Right. That every single one of us has a purpose and that all of us are are doing what we need to do right and so if we're all doing what we need to do we're able to to see this greater picture and put it all together and help so many more people when we see the interconnectedness as opposed to just the individual actions for ourselves because yeah like it's cute to be zero race it's cute to make my little salads but it's like okay that is actually having an impact you know and like having all of these things and I need to see that in order for me to do better I need to see you know my little garden is actually very helpful in the sense that like you know I I not only am I you know connecting but also like I'm producing less emissions because I'm just walking outside to get a cucumber and like, okay, so now what can I do to, to speed that up? What can I do to, to spread that to other realms? And so taking that step back and seeing how all of these things intersect, all of these things are interconnected. That's, that's the only way to be. That's it. Like (laughs) that's the only way to see it. There is no one solution to a problem there's like 30 million things that we need to do to do it and that again is extremely overwhelming and I'm like but I can't do all of these things like I can't I can't possibly do all these things and that's okay like you won't be able to but maybe you can do something that I can't and hopefully you do that right and there are things that I can do that you won't be able to yeah and so now I have to do that so if we can lean on each other that way without judgment Right. Yes. Yes. Without holding people down, because I can grow a tree out here. Right. I, yep. I I'm literally planning on growing trees. And so if I go and judge somebody who lives in a Manhattan apartment for not growing their own tree, then who like what? What am I doing? Right. Right. What am right. I doing? Or if right. that person judges me for going buying oats in packaging because I don't have a zero waste store, I don't have a bulk store, then then we're not we're not doing any service to any body we're just letting that ego run and 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 just causing causing ruckus right we need to see that we need to step out and realize that 
So you said that you have a lot of conversations on Instagram specifically is the platform Mm -hmm. that you receive. Mm -hmm. So let's say some, (laughs) some nice white person reaches out to you and is like, holy shit. I had no idea of everything going on in this continent and the history with indigenous peoples and all of that. Where do I start? What can I do? I want to be an ally. I want the sticker. Like, where do you tell people to start (laughs) in that fight? The first thing that I do is I'm like, Google, right? You got Google. So you got to start there. Because as much as I love to share this information, as much as I love to do the work that I do, it is not my job to educate white people on my history. Yeah, that y'all have brought upon us, right? Yeah, and so the first thing is there the same way that I learned, right? Same way yeah. I went on YouTube and started looking at all these information, started watching all these things, started buying books written by Indigenous folks. You want to learn about books? that's important. Black history, you got to read Black authors. You gotta you gotta go and and dig information from the people, right? Because that's the problem from the jump is that we're reading whitewash history written by people who trafficked human beings, right? Of course, they're going to write their own narrative. And so by doing that, doing your own research, realizing that, realizing the agenda that has been brought upon history because of who was writing it, right? These human traffickers, of course, were going to literally create race, create these ideas Mm. of superiority in order to justify their action. And so it became the norm for them. It became, it's like, no, like these, these black people are actually not even real humans. Like that, that's what was written. And so that just perpetuated and changed and morphed and, and, you know, to where we are today. And so it takes work. And I think that sometimes white people don't realize the work that it's going to be in order to unlearn a lot of this stuff and then relearn right? It's, it's work. It's not easy. And so that can be kind of disheartening because it's like, okay, I want to click the button and like, just give me all the stuff. And yes. I want to know. And yes. that's not, that's not how it works. Right. And also there are people out there who will teach you. And so find these people ha- have entire seminars, they have workshops, they have all of these things, attend them and pay them. And you will learn so much and then from there, there are so many local organizations in your area, whether, whether you know, in the state or whether, you know, just by region or in your city, depending on where you live, there are different organizations that work with people in order to do better, right? And yep. so to inform yourself and then to find folks who are willing to teach you and then, and then get local, get, get to what, what can you do in your area that is tangible, that is real to help these people, right? There's so much work that needs to be done. There's something around you that can be done, right? There's something that can be done. And so by going online and right. finding those people and connecting with those people, it's, 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 it's not as easy as like clicking a button and being, bam, that's it. It's, it takes effort and, and takes, takes want, right. But we want other things and we get, get to it just as easily, right. We want these, Mm. these things and, and we do the research, right. We do research to buy a new blender, right. Like you got time to blender 
and you put in the work, you watch all these reviews, you can do the same thing to educate Ooh. yourself <laughs> on our history. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right though. It's such, it's a choice and you have to, I think I would add to all of that. You have to know you're going to be uncomfortable and you have to get over it. Yes. That's yes. You just got absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I, I advocate on informing yourself first, because going to people, especially people who you are not paying is we as non-white people have the tendency to still adhere to whiteness right Mm. so we still don't want to make white people feel uncomfortable and so even if they say things that are inappropriate even if they do things that are inappropriate they're the ones that get the attention right so like this is something so common to where non-white people alter the way that they speak they alter their volume they alter their mannerisms in order to make white people feel comfortable in order to make white people not feel guilty not feel sad You know, there's so many times where I have these conversations and I'm the one that has to comfort a a white person because of my history. I'm telling you this and now I have to adhere to your tears, taking away my energy from me trying to explain myself. And so, which is why I say, you know, first do your research and then pay these people because it is so much work and effort that goes into this and it's not to be taken lightly. That uncomfortableness, that awkwardness will be there. Like there's no hiding it. There's no denying that. Yes. I um, really appreciate you pointing that out because it's something that is such, it's such an easy fallback too, as a white person to just be like, well, tell me what I need to do then. Like I didn't know. So tell me. And I think what you said is so perfect because I know that I've done that. I definitely know Mm -hmm. that I've done that. And it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are, right? The outcome and how it lands is just, it's exhausting. And I, like I said, like the only comparison in any sort of way is sometimes when people talk about like, well, is it that bad to walk alone on the street as a woman in a city or whatever? I'm just like, well, you like Google the statistics, <laughs> you know, like, I'm just like, come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. and yeah, I have absolutely. to remember the moments that I feel that. So I don't fall back on my whiteness then and mm-hmm. do the same thing to people of color, expecting them to teach me because I don't understand. Cause I don't like it when people do that mm-hmm. to me about gender. And it's so easy. It's so interesting. It's so easy to forget that right? When it's like, when it's turned around, you're like, oh, but I don't know that someone teach me. Absolutely. And that goes for every realm, right? Because that's how I feel learning about people with disabilities. Right. Can you just tell me what I have to do? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how you do it. You need to go buy some books. Yeah. (laughs) You need to go read those. You need to go watch some documentaries you need to, you know, whatever. And then, you know, and that's something that I pride myself on now. That is not how I used to always be, but like I pride myself on if I have hard questions, right? Questions that I can't find on Google, questions that I can't like, you know, like I'm not getting to, I will message someone from that group and be, hey, are you willing to speak to me on this issue? I have this capacity to pay you. And either those people would be like, I will gladly accept, or 
you know, I, I don't work with that, but I know someone who does. And so it is my job to find that information with the privilege that I have, right? Like as an able-bodied person, I have so much privilege that I can't even conceptualize because the world was made for me, right? The world was made for able-bodied people. And so that's how it is for all of those different groups. And so it's not their job to teach me. It is my job to teach myself. It's my job to seek that information and do that work. I think that is, oh, that is so lovely as well, because I've had conversations with people who are like, I really want to learn about indigenous peoples in this area. And I want to talk to some people that have been here. Like I'm in Northern Minnesota, but I feel like that would be awkward. But the way you phrase that is so beautiful. Cause it's like, Hey, look, here is what I've done. Here's what I know. And I'm still looking for more and asking, you know, not making that assumption that they are going to be ready to be your guide in life mm-hmm. on this topic. Mm-hmm. But asking Mm -hmm. and being also it's I think it's so it's such a privileged thing to ask but assume you're gonna get it right like asking is not a just a formality that you do like asking is something Mm -hmm. that is required and you can like you can get a no and you can get a I can't handle this that's gonna happen I, I think that that's something that we forget even when we're trying to do something positive, like learn about a marginalized group, right? Like we forget the things that we're learning about are actual traumas for other people. Yes. It's not like how we receive it. Yes. And just seeing it in a book and just seeing it, whatever. Mm. So then this is lifelong battles, right? And so when someone sends a message out of like, oh, but like, what about this? It's like, you don't know how heavy that was for that person right? You don't know, like they didn't consent to that heaviness that you just brought upon that person for that day. Let's say like, just for example, you know, like if, if I were to ask someone about the residential schools, and I mean, that is something so heavy that, that I don't have the right to just, just hit somebody with that. And so that's the same way with so many different things. And so that's why I highly, highly suggest for everyone who is learning about all of these different groups to, you know, find the information written by those people. And then if you are going to ask, you, you have to compensate these people one way or another, because it, that's their life. We can see it as something that's written. We can see it as the issues, whatever, but to them, that's their reality. And they don't get to turn that reality off. right? Right. Like that's, that's just, all the time. And I think too, then not treating someone as a token, right? Like not Mm -hmm. finding this one person to teach you and then your work is done and assuming that every experience of a marginalized person in that group is then like that one person. I think there's a lot of tokenism for white people. They're, you know, like, they're like, I have a black friend and this is the experience (laughs) of my black friend. So like, I'm done thinking about race. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, like I mentioned earlier, these are people with flaws. These are people with successes. These are people with everything. And so having this one view of this one person does not encompass the idea of different, be- like it, it is, that's not how it works. Right? right. And so the easy thing to do is be like, yeah, I have this one black friend and they said I could say the N word. And it's like, oh no, you know, like, I've, I've had these conversations before. And so 
being able to to understand that it's not that easy. It is hella work. Like that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to put it. It's hella work. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious for, and if this feels like a moment that I'm doing this to you now that we just had this conversation, please do not hesitate. But I'm curious how you handle conversations about like mascots and Halloween costumes and that kind of thing. Cause it, it's a, it's about to come down the docket real quick. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like how you navigate that. If someone asks you, or if you see it, like, what is that experience like for you? So like I mentioned before, it just depends on how heavy it is on that day. Right. Like, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes we can talk about certain things that have happened and I'm very willing and open. And sometimes I'll just see things and I get like, I don't have the energy, right? Yeah. Like I don't have the energy to put forth, you know, I need somebody else to do that. And that's yeah. again, where that ally comes in. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, that's where that person needs to take that responsibility of like, Hey, maybe this indigenous person doesn't feel like, like explaining why a severed head shouldn't be part of a football game, you know, like, maybe they don't have the energy to to talk about this, you know, and that's where those people come in and be like, Hey, like, you know, whatever. And that, that goes for all of us, right. That goes for us who, who claim to be allies for black people claim to be allies for the LGBT community. It's, it's that that's our job to, to do these things in order to, to step up when these people don't, A, it's not their job. And then also just don't want to, Yeah, they're exhausted. Yeah, they're exhausted. And so it just depends on the day. Sometimes I'll, I'll be hype and like, I'll, you know, explain fully, you know, my sentiment on it. And then sometimes I'm just like, no, like, I, I don't have time for that today. I don't have the energy for that. Mm-hmm. Have you had conversations like about Halloween costumes of indigenous people or mascots of indigenous people? Have you had conversations where you felt like you really blew someone's mind and they were like, oh, I didn't understand now I'm never going to do that again. Have you, do you feel like you've had those success stories? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have definitely had those conversations and I've also had the opposite where it's <laughs> just like, same, it, literally like word for word saying like, but we won. So we get to do what we want. We being the colonizers. Yeah. I mean, like okay. I said, one end of the spectrum what? to the other. Yeah. So I've, I've had, people where they're just like wow like I guess you know the school didn't teach me that or like or even people who are like okay well I'm gonna look into that because I I don't know much about that and I'm just like okay like that's that's valid that's a valid response you know Mm -hmm. and so having having heard all ends of that spectrum it's kind of it's both exhausting, but also kind of relieving at the same time, because I do hear a lot of positive stories of people who, who are able to see the damage and are able to, to be aware of the systems and, and be like, okay, yeah, like I, I'm a part of, I have seen only the mainstream society. And so I wasn't aware of that. And now I am. And like, thank you for this post or thank you for sharing this because I had no idea. And that's all that I can do, right? That's all that I I am responsible for is is I can share and put that information out there. It's up to everybody of how they perceive it and how they how they take it and how they learn from it. And I think w- something that you we talked about earlier too is just that 
I think a lot of, at least a lot of what I hear specifically from white people is like, well, we can't rewrite history. Like I just keep, for some reason lately, I've just been hearing that again a lot, but what I like Mm -hmm. how you framed it is I'm I'm not trying to rewrite history. I'm trying to tell you what happened. So like, I'm not trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, tell you that there's, there is some rewriting that needs to be done. I'm not changing the narrative. I'm telling you the part of the narrative you didn't hear. And I think that's what exactly I'm trying exactly. to fall back on more when conversations like football and it's not just football, lots of, you know, like school mascots yeah. and whatever it is and Halloween costumes and oh, fucking Thanksgiving coming up. Like, I think that's what I'm trying to fall back on more is just saying like, I'm not rewriting anything actually. I'm just, I'm just trying to share some truth, mm-hmm. but it's like, hard to navigate yeah it's it's work for Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to people who have these emotional ties to these things right I grew up in southern Louisiana and so seeing the rebel flag everywhere Mm -hmm. right I mean everywhere and you're talking about the confederate flag yeah yeah and so having having that showcased everywhere and having people who literally say no like this is this is just part of my history this is just you know whatever when they don't even know what that means right Mm. there's so many people who literally don't even know what that means and so and so just just that one layer right and and you know when I go back home now that's what I see and and knowing what that means and looks like and feels like to a black person right like seeing that everywhere plastered in your face and so that's that's again like what I mentioned that's exhausting to try to explain why that's not okay to try to explain why that is not ideal and these confederate statues that we grew up seeing you know all of these things and so having these conversations with those people is, is work. Yeah. Is work because they're, they're the ones that are denying history. Right. They're the ones that are trying to rewrite it in this fairy tale Disney-esque ideal. Not us. I just, I'm telling you what actually happened. Right. I'm not sugarcoating it. Right. I'm telling you that Pocahontas was a child, right? Like that's hard to hear and understand because we were told the opposite. We were literally told a love story. And so by having people aware of that and having people who will stand up and be like, hey, actually this happened, who are not the the marginalized group, puts some weight on someone else's shoulders as Mm. opposed to ours. I think that is a really good message for people to hear. Because if you're wondering what you can do, you can learn and you can share because mm-hmm. people might hear you differently if you have privilege. And Absolutely. That, that sucks, yeah. but that's reality. You know, you might, people mm-hmm. might identify with something that you put out because of who you are. And if that can make a difference, mm-hmm. then damn, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. I think we, I, f- I feel a sense of responsibility, like, okay, for some reason the universe has 
pushed me to dive into these issues. And because of that, it's my responsibility to share. Like I have this knowledge and it is my responsibility to share it. And to break white solidarity. Yeah. To break that silence. Because once that is done, you're putting that person in a position that they have never been before, especially when it comes to another white person. And just understanding, wait a second, you're not agreeing with this extremely racist thing that I'm saying? How dare you? And it's yes. like, yeah, no, like, this, this is totally wrong. And they're like, I mean, taken back. And so, yeah, like, that's y'all's job is to do that, is to endure the uncomfortableness yep. because marginalized people get emotionally, physically, spiritually hurt in the, those situations. And you get the privilege of just feeling awkward, right? And right. So that's that's the job to, to be done. You get the privilege of just feeling awkward. That's powerful. That's a really powerful thing to remember. Is there anything that you wanted to share that I haven't given you a chance to yet today? I think that's it. Just really reiterating that this is we're all on this journey and that it takes a lot of work and it's, it's not easy work, but it's work that has to be done for ourselves, for our children, for the future, for the planet and, and doing it and holding yourself accountable, having grace with yourself at the same Mm, time mm -hmm. and being on this constant journey because it's not linear. It's not, it's not something that you ever reach right? You're never healed. (laughs) You're, you're never, you're never away from the systems. And so just, just thinking about it that way, reframing it to where you're always going to be doing it as opposed to like, Oh, my five-year plan is that I will be completely free from biases in five years. Like that's not going to happen. Right. And so just knowing that you got to just put in the work every day, every day. How are you? Oh, look at that beautiful sleeping baby. How are you taking <laughs> care of yourself these days and tapping into your own self-care doing all this work? Bread, making bread. <laughs> <laughs> that has been my go-to thing lately. Um, just I have just been again, like I mentioned earlier, just this push for really nourishing myself and mm. being intentional and taking things slowly. And so right now we've got bread waiting, you know, and so just, just that sounds that, delicious. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's great. I'll mail you some. That's perfect. <laughs> and so just having that intention for myself, right. Yeah. And uh, just finding those little, especially when it comes to having kids at home all day and being, um, their primary caregiver is you got to give yourself time too because you can't be filling everybody else's cup when you got like three drops in yours, right? Like you yes. Gotta, you got to give yourself and whether that's making bread or for other people, you know, like painting your nails or or, or whatever the case right. may be watching a show. And so for me, it's been just whipping things up in the kitchen and giving myself the time and the capacity to do that for myself. That's amazing. Well, I hope you enjoy that bread. And I really appreciate you chatting with me again. I wanted to do an episode for Indigenous Peoples Day. And I think given our conversation last time, it was just very clear to me that talking with you again would be so helpful, not only 
for me, but also for everyone listening. So I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do that and give space for that. Thank you again so much for having me and to be able to uplift my voice in in a time that, that it's necessary. Thank you. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode of Consciously Clueless. And for that, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or tag me and share in social media. Share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. To get more resources, influence on topics covered, and bonus content, join the Consciously Clueless community over on Patreon at patreon.com slash consciouslycarly. And don't forget, if you need help living more consciously, let's work together. Email me today. See you next Wednesday for a new episode.